you see, the truth is this. The word deacon, like quite a number of other words that we find in the New Testament, is a word that what it meant then, there's a little bit of a difference between what it meant back then in Bible days and what we take it to mean. You know, some people in our day and time, you meet them and you say, what's your name, sir? And he says, I am Deacon so-and-so. You know, so we use it as a title that, um, I don't know how to put it. We use it as a title that communicates great esteem. But actually, the word just means servant. It's from the Greek, diakonos. That same word, we see it in... Okay, let me cause a little trouble. We see it in Romans 16, I believe. Um, let's turn in our Bibles there. Just so I'm sure I'm not making any mistake. Yeah, it's Romans 16.1. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church which is at Sancreia. The word translated servant here is also diakonos. So for some reason, when they were talking about Phoebe, they translated the word as servant. Why is that? I'm not the one that said it. I'm not the one that said that. But I've always found it very, um, very awkward that when they were talking about her, they put the word in there as servant. But other places in the New Testament, they just put the word deacon there as deacon. Now, of course, when the King James Version was translated, it was translated by Episcopal priests in the Church of England. So then, deacons were always male. So if you translate this as deacon, it will beg the question, in Bible, women could be deacons, but in your own church, women cannot be deacons. Why? That's just my opinion on that. But I wanted to put out that the word deacon actually means servant, you know. But today we've, we've, we've taken it as some, in fact, some are archdeacon. You've never heard that before. Yes. In the, in the Church of England, also Church of Nigeria, Anglican Communion, they are, yeah, archdeacons. So, um, now, let's look at what the Bible says about deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I want us to look at it from the perspective of all of us who are in supportive ministry, we are actually supposed to meet the requirements for deacons, whether or not we are actually called deacons. Did we get that? Yes. The requirement for deacons in Bible is actually a requirement for everybody who is a supportive minister. Well, let's look at um, 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, let's start to read from verse 8. The Bible says there, likewise. What does the word likewise suggest to us? In the same manner, yes. More modern translations probably say in the same manner or in the same way. And in the same way as what? In verse 1, 
He says, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. He desires a good work. The word bishop is also another word that really there was no need to leave that word in as bishop. The Greek is episkopos or overseer. So it's really if a man desires the office of a pastor or an overseer, he desireth a good work. But then again, because in the Church of England, they had bishops, so they left it there to show that what we are doing is what the Bible um, teaches. They never used to use the term pastor or overseer. They always said bishop, so they left it in there as bishop. But here, um, Paul gave some requirements for the office of a bishop or a pastor in verses 1 to 7, and then he says, in the same way, just like the pastors, those who are in supportive ministry must be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy or filthy lucre. You know, in our day and time, if they say, well, he's a pastor, but he drinks, we'll have a problem with that. We'll have a serious problem with that. He's a pastor, but he drinks. But, eh, well, Shebi is just a worker in the church. So that one is allowed to drink. No, no, no. The same way the Bible tells the pastor in verse 3, of first, Timo, of first Timothy chapter 3, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy or filthy lucre. That's what he tells the deacon too. Remember we said these requirements are for everybody in supportive ministry. That's for the pastor, First Timothy 3 verse 3. Let's go to verse 8. Likewise, must the deacons be grave? What does it mean to say someone is grave? You are sober. You are not the sort of person that, <laughs> I was just joking, I was just joking. Now, it's okay to joke, but when you are like that, round the clock, we don't even know whether it was serious or not. You know he's always joking. There's a problem. There's a problem. He says to be grave, not double-tongued. What does it mean to be double-tongued? Sorry? It means that <laughs> he can say something now and say something else the next minute. Such people are very dangerous. They can cause divorce. They will meet the husband, tell him one thing. Meet the wife, tell her another thing. You know, there are some people, they tell you something and say, eh, really? Yes, I'm telling you this. You go your way. After a while, you call the person back and you say, hmm, that thing that you said, can you say it again? You say, um, who is there with you? <laughs> he can't say it again because whatever he says depends on the audience. He has to structure what he will say for different audience. That's what it means to be double-tongued. You can't quote him. You can't say this is what he said. He said, not double-tongued, not given to much wine. For some people, I've met people before that said, does the Bible say we shouldn't drink? Well, it says you should not be given to much wine. Who decides what is much? 
You know, imagine, <laughs> imagine I came for this training and then you just gave me a holy kiss. And as you gave me the holy kiss, you perceived something. Say, ah, I'm sure he's a good man. He cannot, even though he's smelling on his mouth, it's he, not much. Is that what you will say? Ah. I know most people will say, ah, this training will be hot today. The mind is ready for action. You see, it says, not greedy or filthy lucre. What does filthy lucre mean? It means money. Should not be somebody that likes money. You know, we would consider liking money a disqualification for a pastor. But for many of us, we we'll say, ah, after all, me, I want, me, I want to enjoy you. So I've, I've met Christians, me, I like money. I like money. And I'll be like, really? Tell me more. Ah, they know me. I like money. And I'll just be looking at them. This is a disqualification in ministry. Not greedy or filthy. Look at, you know, look at it this way. Have you ever noticed that anybody that they say likes money too much is never about an oil and gas deal of $350 million. It's always about one useless amount of money like that. <laughs> ah, don't, don't try how the day she sent me on an errand with 3,000 naira. Ah, in fact, I just, cook, I just came and it's always about a small amount of money. Do you get my point? Sometimes people say, ah, Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Me, I don't love money, but I like money. I always watch such people closely. When it's time for people to give an opinion about you, they never say, ah, she doesn't love money. She just likes it a little. They never say that because you have misbehaved over one very small amount of money. Let's move on. One that ruleth well his own house. No, no, let's go back. Let's go to the deacon. This is the pastor. Let's go to verse 9, please. Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. That means that even though you are what they call just an ordinary worker, you must know your Bible well and be sure that you are discharging your duty to your knowledge of the scriptures with a pure conscience. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, you must know your Bible you must know what the Bible is saying. You must understand it very well. And you must live a life that allows you to have a pure conscience with respect to the scriptures. I don't just know these things, but I'm actually doing them. I'm not just a hearer or a preacher, but I'm also a doer of the word. That's what it means to hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And then verse 10 says, And let this also first be proved, and let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. What this is saying is, you should be put in a leadership role in the church only after you have been proven. You know, much earlier 
in my being a Christian leader, I didn't take this verse of the scripture very seriously. And I came to regret that. Every time I have ever put someone in a position of leadership without proving them first, I always regret it. Always. There has never been a time where I felt, oh, I got away with this. Paul says, let this first be proved. Sometimes in church, when we tell someone, um, we want you to be in that role in an acting capacity, they get offended. If you don't trust me, don't, I didn't beg for post. You understand my point? I'm not begging. If you know, why are you saying you want to try me first? Do I look like a small boy? Do I look like a small girl? But you see, it is a requirement of the Bible that no matter how big the role is, no matter how small it is, let this first be proved. Prove them first. You know, people always look like they have good character when you are not putting pressure on them. If we want to know, as I'm talking to you now, you're all looking very saintly. We cannot tell who has a hot temper. Do you get what I'm saying? Everybody here looks like they have the fruit of the Spirit, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, self-control. Against such there is no law. You can never tell until you actually see them. You know, in my life I've done quite a number of job interviews. Every single person I've ever interviewed could walk without pressure. All of them, they all know Corel Draw, Microsoft um, Word, Excel, PowerPoint. They always know it. They can work without pressure. They are punctual. They are diligent. Yes, they can work without supervision. The truth is, you will only know after they have gotten the job. That's why most offices, they'll tell you, you are on probation. Your appointment has not yet been confirmed. So it's wise for us to do it that way too in the church. And people should not get offended. Why can't they just put me in the post? Why are they saying they want to test me first? Paul says, let this first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Being found blameless does not mean they are living a blameless life. Nobody really does that. It means in the place of proving you, we've confirmed that you can actually do this thing well. You get my point? There was nothing that happened in the place of proving you to suggest to us that maybe this is not the right um, choice. Now look at verse 11. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. <laughs> you know, for some reason, when I would read this in times past, I used to think this is the qualification for a deacon's wife. Is it? Looks like, but it's not. 
Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers. Sober, faithful in all things. You see, the qualifications he had been putting down before were qualifications for a deacon. This qualification is still qualification for a deacon. Do we get it now? He is talking about the wife, but the qualification is for the husband. I always like to say this, and mostly to those who are not yet married. You see, no matter how great you are as a man of God, your wife can disqualify you from ministry. I've been in the room where a decision is supposed to be taken. And then someone says, I believe that if we put Brother John in this role, he will do very well. And then around the room, you see people begin to nod. Somebody will say, ah, yes, it's true. He's a good man. I think he's, yes. Another person says, yes, yes. Then you see maybe a fourth person that will say, hmm. When they say, hmm, like that, he has a meaning. You say, hmm, but how are we going to manage his wife? And then all those people that had been nodding, saying yes all the while, all of them will hang their head. They will be checking their fingernails. They will be, you know, the nodding will slow down a bit. After a while, somebody will say, but you know that Brother James is also good. That's how they will forget about Brother John. I hope there is no Brother John in this audience. So. Why has Brother John been disqualified? He is a good man, but that is wife. He get as he be. I like to tell, especially young men, if you marry her, because ah, omoye, omoye, fine. I just With her fineness, that may be what will disqualify you from ministry. Now, I don't have anything against fine women. I married a fine woman too. But don't marry someone that will become the reason why Pastor Paul will say, um, maybe not you for now. Do we get what I'm saying? Yes. Many people that think, ah, they don't like me in that church. They like you. Is your wife that is somehow. And it's a very difficult problem to solve. It works the other way too. It works the other way around. I've heard about a woman that was invited to go and preach somewhere. The husband followed her and beat her physically in front of the people she was meant to be ministering to. The next time they have a program, do you think they will call her again? It doesn't matter how anointed she is. Or ah, even if fire is coming out from her mouth. You know, be, ah, madam, maybe you should go and settle your family problem first. Imagine that. If it tends to be worse for women. Yeah. 
There are many women that would have amounted to something in God's work, but the husband just refuses to cooperate. So it's very important for us, even as supportive ministers, to know that your wife can help or she can hinder. We'll talk more about that in this course. So it says, let the dickens be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. You know, sometimes people say the New Testament does not forbid polygamy. If we are all helpers, then this verse obviously forbids polygamy. Because like we said, Deacon, Deacon just means servant. Unless you are not going to serve at all in the church. Now, there may be issues where somebody had married two or three wives before he got saved. That's, that's different. But the preference in the New Testament is for people who are husbands of one wife, both for um, the bishops or pastors and even church workers. So, like we said, the supportive ministry is as important as any other part of um, any other ministry in the body of Christ. Let's look at what it means to support. And these are, this is a definition from Webster's Dictionary. Any other dictionary, I believe, will say essentially the same thing. To support is to carry or bear the weight of. It is to keep from falling, slipping, or sinking. It is to keep something from falling, slipping, or sinking. It is to carry or to bear the weight off. It is to hold up. To support something is to hold it up. This lectern now is supporting my notes and my Bible. It is to give faith, courage, or confidence to. To support is to give faith, courage, or confidence to. It is to help or comfort. That's what the word support means. You know, sometimes in a church, I know um, I've been speaking all morning, I've been making references to your pastor, your pastor, but many of these things that I'm saying also applies to even an HOD. Is that the term we use in this church? Yes. If somebody is the head of a department, is a leader in this church under the authority of a pastor, or is an assistant pastor, many of the things that we are saying also refers to them. You know, um, sometimes you see somebody in the church that when it comes to talents, when it comes to abilities, you are better than that person. I'm not trying to encourage a sense of competition here, but I'm just talking about a situation where you see somebody that we are maybe in the same unit where, you know, I'm better than this person. In terms of doing the work, I think I even do it better. But the leader seems to like that person more than me. Have you ever seen a scenario like that before? Yes. Sometimes it's because that person gives help or comfort, faith, courage, or confidence to the leader. 
You know, I've never met a leader before, especially in the church, that will say, I don't like it when my members come and say, Pastor, we are with you. Pastor. You know, there is a way some people give encouragement to the pastor that pastors crave a lot, that pastors appreciate a lot. But many members don't know this. Many members see the pastor as, ah, ah, pastor, it's your job to encourage me now. Which one is me encouraging you again? Ah, if you can't pastor me, well, let me go and look for another pastor. You know, they see it as you are supposed to be. But the truth is, the pastor is human. He needs encouragement too. I've seen scenarios where a woman comes into the church office crying. What is she crying about? Ah, pastor, my husband, is he responsible? He doesn't help, he doesn't support, he doesn't do anything. Ah, sorry, 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 what is wrong? Now, in fact, he hasn't paid school fees. Now they've told the children to stop coming to school. Then the pastor calms her down. First of all, stops her and prays like 45 minutes prayer. Pastors are good at that. If you are not good at that sort of thing, you may not be a good pastor. There are some situations, just pray 45 minutes prayer. Just from your prayers, the person will receive courage. God cannot hear this kind of long prayer and be looking at me in my, in my problem like this. So the pastors pray 45 minutes. After that, he calls the church secretary. How much do we have there? You know, how much is the school fees? Ah, it's 50,000. Okay, this is 30. Please manage it. Look for the other 20 and try and beg the school. The woman collects the money. She goes away rejoicing. It's after that that I discover that the pastor himself has not paid school fees. But that's the way we operate in the body. The pastor is just meant to be a problem solver. You know? Imagine, you know, learn to, from time to time, look at your pastor, look at your leader and say, what can I do for this man personally? It's one thing to say we want to help him in the work. You get my point? But what about him as an individual, personally? That's part of what it means to support. Sometimes pastors will get up on the pulpit and say, God will provide for you in a miraculous way this week. But he has needs of his own that he's believing God for that same week. God never chooses men to pastor who have it all figured out. God does not choose people to pastor because all the needs of the people that they are bringing to church, they themselves, all those needs are already met. Let us learn to realize that in as much as our pastor will be there for us, encouraging us, helping us, you know, support, we should Go out of our way to think from time to time. And like I said, it's not just your pastor, even your HOD. You know, even assistant pastors. Let, you know, let God lead you sometimes. What can I do for this man? What can I do to help? Sometimes the reason why we don't support our pastor is because we feel, ah, if I go and give Pastor Paul this more money now, will he not be insulted? You know, give him first. 
If that shame is too much, if the money is too small, put it in an envelope. Write his name on it. It's a personal gift to such and such a person. Put it in the offering. Do we get what I'm saying? Some people feel, ah, if I go and give him now, he will think maybe I want him to like me. See, give him first. You know, we, we, have, we have very funny reasons for not giving in the body of Christ. He will think I want him to like me. Okay, give it anonymously. Do we get what I'm saying? If you feel, ah, he has been relating to me in a particular way, it will look like I'm... Tr- okay, give it anonymously. But give. If it's 500 naira, give it. Give it. Let's move on. Let's look at the word help from the dictionary. To help is to make things easier or better for a person, less difficult. Some people seem to think that they are here to make things difficult. Oh, I'm here to keep the pastor on his toes, to make sure he doesn't, uh-huh. you know, the work of the ministry is not supposed to be easy. I'm the one that God is sending to make sure it will not be easy in this church. That is bad. You are here because the work of the ministry is not easy. You are here to make it easier. Even with your help, it will still be difficult. But at least contribute to making it easier. Don't be part of those that are making it difficult. To help is to aid and to assist It is to do part of the work of. There may be some things in this church that your pastor or your HOD is doing because they've looked around and they feel, ah, there's nobody I can assign this work to. Be sensitive to observe what they do. Be sensitive to observe things that they do that ideally they shouldn't be doing it. Do you get my point? Yes. Be sensitive to see those things and approach them and say, ah, can I help you with this? Let me tell you something for free. No leader will ever look at you and say, the reason why I don't like this person is he's always offering to help. Now, if you offer to help and they say, okay, help, and then you don't, that may, not, that may cause a little problem. At least look at that thing well. Determine that it's something that by the grace of God you can do and then offer to help. It will move the work forward. It will never drag the work back. Ah, the time when that church started to have problem is when I offered to help. Mm-mm, nothing like that. Trust me. The work will move forward because of your offer. To help is to ease or share the labor of. To help someone lift a load. To help is to cause improvement in. I always say, in this church, if you've been made an HOD, you've been made an HOD, there's a unit, there's a department that's been assigned to you, do not hand it over the same way it was given to you. Before you hand it over, you should have cost and improvement in it. As leaders, we should always be looking at how can we improve, how can we do better 
So, to help is to be cooperative, useful, or beneficial. It is to give strength to cause to stand. It is to be cooperative, useful, or beneficial. It is to give strength. It is to cause to stand. Now, let's look at something else that has to do with supportive ministry. Um, who was the first supportive minister in Bible? Or who was the first person who played a supportive role? Who? Eve, yes. In um, Genesis 1, in Genesis 2, verse 18, sorry, it says, um, it is not good that man should be alone. I will give him a help meet, you know, a help that is fit and proper unto him. And then he gave um, Eve to, to Adam to help him, to assist him. Now, let me point out something that is very, very important about Eve's role as a supportive minister. Do you know Eve was not given to Adam to do exactly the things that Adam was doing? Have you ever realized that? Eve was not given to Adam to help him to do whatever he was doing to do exactly the same thing Adam was doing. Instead, Eve was given to Adam to help him in a complementary role. I'm not sure I'm saying this well. Um, I like to put it this way. Sometimes people will support you in ministry... Um, in a competitive way. And I'm not using the word competitive in a negative way now. You get my point? There are supportive ministers that will support you, should support you in a competitive way, and there are some that will support you in a complementary way. Now, when I say competitive, I've not found a better word to use. Maybe one of these days... When I'm doing this training, somebody will give me a better word. But what I mean is, an assistant pastor can assist by doing exactly the same thing. If you want to put it that way, well, shadow might be a good, way, a good word. There are supportive ministers that help you by doing exactly what you are doing. You preach, they preach. You pray, they pray. You counsel, they counsel. You go for naming. You know, like... We could have a day where there are three naming ceremonies in the same church. The pastor cannot go and name all the children, especially if they're in different parts of Lagos. So you say, okay, assistant pastor, go, you go, just go and name the babies. You get my point? So that's the sense in which I say some people support by doing exactly the same thing you are doing. But then some other people support you by doing different things. Eve was meant to support Adam by doing something different. In the body of Christ, we need both kinds of supportive ministers. But the ones that are really very critical are those that support in a complementary role. Because many times, people that support in a complementary role, they are not as zealous as those that support in a competitive role. 
Think about it. If, if you are not a, okay, if you've never preached on the pulpit in this church, and then Pastor Paul just looks at you and says, I want you to preach next Sunday. Maybe says that to a young man who was a pastor on campus, recently finished school, and has started attending this church. And then pastor just looks at him and says, I want you to preach next Sunday. You know that from the time pastor says that, he won't sleep. He will start studying his Bible like he's seeing it for the first time. You know? He may go on fasting immediately. Start reading his Bible, praying in tongues. You know? Why? Because they said preach on Sunday. And then on that Sunday, you will see a new, you will see a great preacher. He will come out all guns blazing. You get my point? That's the nature of human beings. Complementary people, they tend not to be as zealous. They tend to be laid back. They tend to see what they are doing as it's not so important because it is not what pastor is doing. But what makes it important is the fact that pastor is not doing it. Do we get what I'm saying? If, you are, if, if they ask you to preach in this church, it's not because pastor cannot preach. It's because they just want to have pity on your ministry. If it's about best preacher, pastor will continue preaching. But they want you to also come up. That's why they are saying, okay, let's give others a chance to minister sometimes. If maybe there is a naming ceremony, there is something that needs to be done outside the church, and then they send you to go and represent pastor, it's not because pastor has seen that you are better than him in doing it. It's because he wants to give you a chance to express yourself too as a minister. But the aspect of supportive ministry that is even more important than what an assistant pastor is doing are those things that is either pastor should not be doing it or pastor is even terrible at doing it. Do you get my point? I don't believe that God told Adam to tend the garden. And then he saw that the work is much. So he said, Eve, come and help him tend the garden. Do you get what I'm saying? Eve's role was to be supportive, but to do different things that Adam cannot do. For example, by himself, Adam would never reproduce. If God gave Adam a man to support him, to be his helper, they would never have kids. Eve was there to, in her own role, do those things that it's either Adam cannot do it or Adam is very bad at it. You know, um, in Pentecostal circles, at least, you find a lot of couples who are pastoring together. I know sometimes people wonder, ah, why must pastor, even if pastor is the leader, why must his wife be the assistant pastor? Has that ever crossed your mind before? Why is that 
essentially the prevalent model in Pentecostal circles? Well, maybe one answer is that they've looked at most men and realized that the best person to compliment them is their wives. Have you noticed that personally? The best person to compliment them many times is their wives. I have noticed this personally. <laughs> Let me point this out to illustrate what I'm saying. Sometimes you see a man of God that is very, very gentle. Gentle to a fault. Too gentle for his own good. Very quiet, very meek, very mild. You know, the Bible says, now Moses was the meekest man on earth. Numbers 12, 3. You know, I read that play. I said, is it not Moses that wrote this book? Well, I'm not saying anything, no, but it's somehow. But there are some people, when you see them and you read that place, Moses was the meekest man on earth. You always wonder, hmm, maybe it's because he didn't see this other man. Now, I've noticed that many times when the man is like that, the wife will be the opposite. Have you ever noticed it before? Sometimes that's the way it happens. And people say, ah, that woman, she's wicked. I always say, no, she's just compensating for the husband. It's the husband's fault. You know, there are some pastors, a church member will go and meet them and say, pastor, borrow me money. And pastor will say, ah, I'm low on funds right now. I don't have money to borrow. Pastor, if you don't borrow me this money, I don't know what can happen. No. Ah, are you sure? Are you serious? Pastor, borrow, I'm telling you now, borrow me this money. Ah. Eventually, the pastor will take the money, say, take. They will be back again the very next month. Sometimes, some, they will be back two or three weeks later. Pastor, money. So, you know, to protect her husband, her home, sometimes the pastor's wife will go and warn that person, in your life, don't ever ask my husband for money again. And then the person will go around and be saying, ah, hmm, pastor misses, hmm, don't try how. If a son will say, she was never like that when she was in school, because that's not her true nature. All what you are seeing now, she is compensating for the husband. Do you see what I mean? Yes. There are areas where maybe the husband is the type that doesn't know how to say no. She has to be the one to say it for him. Because if he keeps saying yes, 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 like that, they may not do well in the long run. And sometimes you meet some pastors that are very fierce. It's like that title, Lion of the Tribe of Judah. They want to collect it from Jesus. You know, very... Uh -uh. Sometimes you see maybe someone came late, and then the pastor, somebody greets the pastor and says, Ah, good morning, sir. Uh -huh. What is good about the morning? See the time you are coming to church, and you are setting a... Before the pastor washes him, I don't even know why you are here. I don't even know what, you are useless, you know. Says all manner, to, sometimes in front of everybody else. Just talks to him like that. And then you see, you know, the wife. She will now sneak to go and meet that man. Ah, Emma Binoro, Tango Daddy, so, Oroyeko, Oroyeko. Ejo, Emma Binoro. 
Emma Benu. She will kneel down for the man. Emma Benu. Ah, or a jaw, a jaw, a fiyami. Kedema won't share your bell. Won't share your bell. Is someone that is someone that got him annoyed though? Is that annoyance that he was now taking out on you? Is a lie. The man is like that. But she's just trying to. So you see the woman. She will look like an angel in that church. She's not really as good as that. She's compensating for the husband. That's one of the things a good supportive minister does. A good supportive minister compensates for the areas of weakness of the leader. Look at the story of Moses at the burning bush. God told Moses, go back to Egypt. You ran away from Egypt as a murderer. I want you to go back there now. You are going to go in power. You are going to go in signs and wonders. If God gave him a quick demo, said that stuff you are holding, throw it down. He threw it down. He became a serpent. He said, take it up again. He took it up. He became a stick. He said, put your hand in your bosom. He put the hand in his bosom, bring it out. The hand was leprous. He said, put it in your bosom again. He put it, bring it out. The arm was back to normal. He said, you are going back to Egypt and you are going to walk incredible miracles. That's what God told Moses. What did Moses say? Moses said, hmm, I'm a stammerer. I'm not sure this thing will work. Now, With Moses telling God, I'm a stammerer, I would have thought that if this thing was about miracles, signs and wonders, God should simply heal Moses. Isn't that a simple way to solve the problem? Yes, just heal him. Instead, God said, as you go now, you will meet your brother Aaron. He will speak for you. It seems to me that when men have weaknesses, and when I say weaknesses now, I'm not talking about a sinful lifestyle. In the body of Christ, we've gotten to the place where we have, a man is walking in sin. They say that's his own area of weakness. Mm -mm. It is sin. He needs to deal with it. But as human beings, we all have weaknesses that they come with our humanity. You get my point? Yes. The same way God did not heal Moses, but sent Aaron to help him, is the same way many weaknesses that you will see in leaders in this church, they are meant to have other people who will compensate for those weaknesses. One of the signs of immaturity in followership is when God reveals a weakness in your leader. And then because of that, you despise that leader. If some people seem to think that God is showing me this person's weakness so that I can replace him. That is never the biblical model. That is never... You see, if... I replace my leader because of his weakness. I should get ready for somebody to replace me because I have my own weaknesses too. Again, I'm clarifying. I'm not talking about sin. We must never get to that place where we say, ah, his weakness is women. 
No, that's a sinful lifestyle. But we are talking about challenges that are common to us as humans that are not necessarily sinful. I don't want to start mentioning examples because we may not live here today, but maybe I should so that I can clarify what I'm saying. Some people have a a problem with not being punctual. Some people have a problem with how they express themselves. You know, some people have a problem with managing money. Drawing up a budget, finance is not their... You are not a bad Christian because you don't know how to do a budget and work within it. But if you don't know it, you can have other people who will, who know it and who can assist. So we all have places where we are strong and we all have places where we are weak. As a leader, where I am weak, I should look for people who are strong in those areas to help me. But the problem I don't know about other churches, but I know the Nigerian church. The problem many times is that you find that maybe it's only your wife you can trust to see your weakness and not take advantage of it. But we all need to come to that place where we help our leaders in their area of weakness and we don't think twice about it. Do you get my point? Yes, and we should learn to do it in a way that doesn't bring embarrassment to the leader. There's a way you can seem to help someone in their area of weakness and you do it in a way that makes them look bad, that makes them look like you are better than them, that makes them look like you are the one that knows what to do, they don't know what to do. Let's... um, Let's take a, a break. Let's take a break. We'll continue from there. But let me just summarize this by saying that as leaders, leaders need completers. Just the same way Adam needed Eve and, um, and Moses needed Aaron. There's no leader that is perfect. There's no leader that doesn't have an area of weakness. There's no leader that doesn't have an area where he or she needs help. Do we get that? Yes. So we should learn to see a leader's weakness. And then um, if that happens to be an area where we are strong, those are the places where you should even volunteer to help. The problem many times is our supportive ministers want to help in the areas where pastors are typically strong. Most pastors are good at preaching. He doesn't really need you to come to say, ah, pastor, I can help with the preaching. That's his area of strength. Where you should be helping really are those places where he may not be so good. Do we, do we understand what I'm saying? Yes. That's the place where we really need supportive ministry. It's not like those who are also preaching, who are supporting in the area of... It's not like what their own support is not important or is not... We don't need it. But where most leaders really need help is in the area of completing. 